We uh, open our Bibles this morning to Matthew uh, chapter 8, reading from verse 1 to 17 on page 972 of the church Bible. The title is The Man with Leprosy. When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hands and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you do not tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift of Moses commands a testimony to them. Then Jesus entered Capernaum. A centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and is in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself I'm a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth. I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west. And he will take place at the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done, just as if you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. When Jesus came to Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. She got up and began to wait for him. Then evening came. Many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove it out of, out of the spirit set with the word and it healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities, and carried our diseases. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Can I thank you, each one of you, for the warm welcome that you've extended towards us. Uh, that must be difficult for some of you, given the present circumstances in which you find yourselves. But please uh, know that the Lord himself is here, that he may command a blessing over his people. And so, as we are gathered here together, we are the family of God. And this may be a presbytery service, but it is nonetheless a service of worship. And we are here together as God's people that we might draw near to Him and that we might indeed offer up to Him a sacrifice of praise. And in doing so, that we might also quieten our hearts that we would hear from the Lord. One of the nicest sounds in this church as I sat at the front there was to hear the children singing their praise 
through in the hall. And I pray that that would be something that would continue here, that the praise of God would resound from the youngest to the oldest, that we would bring him songs, regardless of whether we come here with heavy hearts or with the greatest joy. May we know Jesus meets us in our place of deepest need, that he's here, that he loves us, and that he will never, ever leave us. Now that's something that the Lord has laid upon my heart ever since he called me to saving faith and called me to serve him. And I've benefited greatly from many people that I've learned from and learn from still. And I say that with a sincere heart because we've not come here in any sense to tell you what to do, but that as Bruce has already said, we're here for mutual encouragement. We're here to support you. We're here to share with you. And indeed, we will take back with us, I'm sure, lessons that we've learned also. Bruce himself, a dear friend to me, was the first minister in the United Free Church who lifted the phone to me, knowing that I was about to demit my charge and to leave the Church of Scotland. Bruce knew something of what I was going through. And so he lifted the phone and invited me through to Uddingston, which I have to tell you I was grateful for Satanaf <laughs> to find where to come. But I really appreciated that phone call. And I appreciated, I have appreciated and still appreciate Bruce's friendship. But I wonder if there's many people here who've not shared a cup of tea or coffee with Bruce. Because I don't think he did that just for me. He's a pastor as well as a preacher. He loves his people. And that means that he's deeply grieved today also. Please know that. And as you support this family in their time of grief, please also support Bruce as he is also grieving. That is what it means to be a minister. You know, some years ago I was employed at a summer mission in Maastricht. Now, please don't think I'm boasting about this because I'm not talking about Maastricht in Holland. I'm talking about Maastricht in the frozen north, in Aberdeen. Unlike much of the royal, this oil-rich city, Maastricht itself is actually a, an area of social deprivation. Drug and alcohol abuse was common when I was there, as was theft and violence. And so it was when a large group of young people began to meet outside of the church, round the back, in the dark at night. Well, you can imagine the concerns that are raised for the folks in the congregation. The church session discussed this, and an elder dared to suggest that this might be an opportunity for mission. Of course, the elder wasn't the person to offer his services, but he said that the parish assistant might be the person to do this. And so he was asked if he would make an approach to those young people and try to, in some way, build bridges with them. Well, Archie's reply was short and to the point. No thanks. You see, previous approaches to the youth had been met with hostility, and he wasn't too keen to put this to the test again. So there remained this barrier between the church and the community that she was intended to serve. 
And friends, that should never be. You know that. But here we see there's a problem that we ourselves are not entirely immune to because we can become quite good at worship but less good at witness. Or to put it another way, we can know the theology but we can neglect the practice. We love to be sitting with Jesus on the mountainside but we're less inclined to be walking with him in the town. The problem is that the people we are called to love and to serve need to see the grace of God in our lives before they begin to think about committing their lives to the Lord. Sadly, what we find today is that many people will view the Christian faith as an irrelevance simply because, let's be honest about it, you and I can set them a poor example. For this very reason, we actually need to become skilled at breaking down barriers. Now, Matthew's gospel actually helps us to understand just how important this is, because Matthew declares to us that Jesus is our king, and he tells us that we are his subjects, we are citizens of his kingdom. And so Matthew presents us with this gospel, the good news of God's king who has come to us. In the first seven chapters, Matthew's laid down a foundation of this. He's given us the family tree, the birth of Jesus, as evidence that he is God's promised Messiah, the Christ, God's King, as promised by the Old Testament prophets. And God's Messiah, according to protocol, is one who goes before him. And so it was through John the Baptist, the divinity of Jesus was proved at his baptism before we find that his moral qualities were proved by his temptation. And then Jesus began his ministry, just as John had done before him. He preached the need to repent, and he proclaimed the kingdom of God was near. Jesus demonstrated that he'd come to bring the kingdom of heaven through his ministry of teaching, of preaching, and of healing. In other words, it was a holistic ministry that Jesus offered. But then we find that Jesus did something rather strange, because when there were increasing crowds of people who were coming to hear him, Jesus did the opposite of what they would think. He withdrew with his disciples up a mountainside, and he began to disciple them. He taught them the ethical standards of his kingdom, and what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And he concluded his teaching with a challenge a challenge to put his words into practice as a wise man who builds upon the rock. You see, it's never easy to do what Jesus says. It's easy enough to say that we believe, but we must also obey Jesus and his word. You see, fine words mean nothing if they're not backed up by actions. And so here in chapter 8 of Matthew's Gospel, we read how Jesus leads his disciples down the mountainside and back to the people to whom he was to prove his authority as God's king. And Matthew then records three healing miracles of Jesus. We have a Jewish man who had leprosy. We have a Gentile centurion servant, and we have a disciple's mother-in-law. Each miracle, quite different from the other, is a sign of the breaking in of the kingdom of heaven on earth. And in this way, the authority of God's king is not only heard in his teaching and preaching, but it's seen in his miraculous healing. Now, what kind of king is Jesus? Well, Jesus was born the king of the Jews. That's a racial king. But he was also the king of Israel, and that's a national king. 
He's the king of righteousness, and that means he's a redeeming king. But he's also the king of the ages, he's the king of heaven, and he's the king of glory. In fact, as we read in Revelation, Jesus is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. And so we find that the heavens declare his glory, the skies proclaim the work of his hands, meaning that Jesus is a universal king. Now, I say all of this because here in Matthew chapter 8, we read of how people of different class and culture and creed were to learn that Jesus is a sovereign king. For Jesus is a king whose rule extends over a universal kingdom, a kingdom where all barriers are broken down. Friends, would you do me a favor and please turn to this reading in Matthew chapter 8. It is a wonderful reading uh, to read together. I did say it's, it's wonderful to hear the noise of the children next door. It's also wonderful, a blessing to your minister if, uh, if he hears the pages being turned in your Bibles. It brings joy to an old man's heart. That wasn't a reference to Bruce, by the way. <laughs> that was me. Well, firstly, as we look at our text here, we see that Jesus was actually breaking down the barriers of disease. He's breaking down the barriers of disease. Once again, we find large crowds are following Jesus, but there's one man who stands out from the crowds of people. For this man with leprosy came, and he dared to kneel before Jesus. And he offers up this desperate appeal for healing which when you think about it, is no small act because leprosy itself, leprosy itself causes great pain and agony in the body. For this man to kneel before Jesus then was an indication of his faith in the Lord. And what we find is that he knew that Jesus could heal him, but he was uncertain whether he wanted to do so. So let's read his words there. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing. But what a wonderful statement of faith this is. And it's true that faith in Jesus is never disappointed. But leprosy itself is actually a contagious disease. It's spread through the contact of open wounds. The untreated sufferer, and I've seen them in India who've been untreated. It's a terrible sight. They are trapped by this disease that affects their flesh and it even spreads to their bones. It can cause disfigurement and even the loss of fingers and toes and the nose is particularly affected too. And yet as bad as that was in Jesus' day, the physical side of the illness was not its worst because the mental suffering that was caused by isolation from friends and families and what we might call normal relationships must have been horrendous. You see, leprosy was a sign of impurity. It made the sufferer ritually unclean. In Leviticus, we read the sufferer must wear torn clothes, live outside of the camp, keep his hair unkempt, cover the lower part of his face and cry out, unclean, unclean. Here then was a man who many would have said had no place with Jesus. They would have put a barrier between him and the Lord. In fact, there really was no hope for this diseased man, for he was caught in a prison of his own flesh that was slowly dying. 
No medical doctor, no religious priest, no power on earth could release him from this prison, this sentence of death, but Jesus. And that's a wonderful phrase, isn't it, to remember that in the most difficult of circumstances that we find ourselves, but Jesus. This man who had brought the kingdom of heaven on earth, who was anointed to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim the freedom of prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed. But Jesus is not only able to save, he is willing to save. There is nothing too hard for Jesus. Nothing is impossible. He can mend the brokenhearted. He can heal the lame. He can give as a new song to sing. Nothing is impossible. And so what we read here is that Jesus actually reached out his hand and he touched the man and he said, I am willing, be clean. And there was power in those words. For instantly those prison bars of leprosy were broken. Instantly this man was a leper no more because Jesus had set him free. There was something quite dramatic about this miracle because this was something that was quite unheard of. A rabbi and someone who was unclean would have avoided each other. But here was this man with leprosy who's appealing to Jesus and our Lord demonstrates divine compassion and great power. And he ensured that this man's life would never be the same again. Now, some of us are old enough to remember the television pictures of Princess Diana as she touched people with AIDS. She went into hospitals, she held their hands. She showed so much compassion, touching people that most people at the time were afraid to do so. And yet, as far as I know, Diana never healed anyone. With a touch of Jesus' hand and a word of his command, the love of God communicated healing to this individual. But the climax of this story is not simply the cleansing of this man with his leprosy, because we read that Jesus told him, see that you don't tell anyone. What a strange thing to say. Why would he do that? Well, Jesus didn't want to become known as some kind of miracle healer. His mission was far more important than that because Jesus was breaking down barriers by demonstrating God's love for sinners. And the final barrier could only be broken down by his dying in the place of sinners, demonstrating the love and the justice of God by bearing the wrath of the Father and communicating divine mercy and grace to sinful people. And because he'd come to reconcile sinners to God, Jesus told this man to go show himself to the priest. In other words, he said to him what he says to each one of us, you've demonstrated your faith in me, now I want you to declare your faith in me and to do it before others. Sometimes we miss that bit. Jesus was breaking down the barrier of disease and secondly, he was breaking down the barrier of race. We see Jesus breaking down the barrier of race. And Matthew invites us to leave this Jewish leper behind as he goes to the priest. But would it not be tempting for us to follow him, to watch him as he goes into the synagogue and see what he has to say to the priest and what kind of response he would get? If you're a Christian, then you'll know why we cannot do that. 
Because the gospel is about Jesus. Not about you or I. It's about Jesus. Jesus who had come to bring so much more than physical healing. And so Matthew has us followed Jesus into the town of Capernaum, where he's met by this Gentile centurion. Now, the religious expectations of many would be absolutely shattered by this encounter. And once again, the miracle, as amazing as it is, it's not the central point of this passage. According to Paul, the gospel was first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And this is actually what we see in these gospel accounts of Jesus' life. But we can actually easily lose sight of just how radical this was. It must have certainly shocked many of the Jews of Jesus' day when they began to realize that the kingdom of heaven was to include the Gentiles. Now, a Roman garrison lay just outside of Capernaum, meaning that this centurion would have had close relationships with the Jewish community there. But of course, he would never have been considered to be one of them. He was not one of the chosen people. That right belonged to those who were of the line of Abraham. And every Jew took great pride in this privileged position, to the exclusion of the Gentiles. The attitude of this foreign soldier serves then as an example of how we are to approach Jesus. And so we read here in verse 8, the centurion says, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Isn't that amazing? It is a simple yet profound statement of faith in the Lord Jesus. It was just such faith that meant that Abraham was counted righteous by God when he believed in the promised blessing of descendants, even although he was beyond the natural age of having children himself, and he was told that his seed would be a blessing to the nations. And now we're seeing what Jesus is doing here. For in response to this Gentile centurion, he said, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Now the Jews must have balked at this, but this is him commending this Gentile. He then spoke of how the Gentiles would join Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while those religious people who presumed their seat at the table, those religious people would be thrown outside. And so Jesus declares that the kingdom of heaven is for everyone who has believed in the promise of God and those who have believed in the person of God in Jesus. And the gates of this kingdom, in case anyone's in any doubt, are now thrown wide open for all who will come in faith. The Jews thought of the heavenly banquet as their own private reserve. But here was Jesus breaking down this barrier of race and is declaring that it was not a family line, but a faithful life that was the key to experiencing the joy of the kingdom. This is why Paul wrote to the Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, he writes. This is why we glorify God for his mercy, which was, of course, supremely displayed 
at the cross of Christ. So racial harmony is not actually a social issue, it's a gospel issue. We ought to remember that. It is one that means that we should be breaking down racial barriers for the sake of the increase of the glory of God and the increase of the good of all people. The alternative is terrifying to contemplate because Jesus speaks here of hell as a very real place. Hell is a place of darkness and despair that's devoid of God. It is a place that no one would want to be, nor would we want anyone else to be there. But the greatest surprise is those who will occupy hell, because even the most respected religious person will be in hell if they refuse to bow the knee to Jesus and call him Lord. And so the despised foreigner who exercises saving faith will be in the kingdom among a great multitude that no one can count of every nation, tribe, people, and language. Once again, this healing of the centurion servant is of secondary importance, for Matthew tells us that Jesus, who is powerful to save, simply speaks the word, and his servant was healed at that very hour. So Jesus was breaking down the barriers of disease and of race, and thirdly, we find Jesus breaking down the barrier of gender. He breaks down the barrier of gender. And Matthew tells us that Jesus saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. And he simply records how he touched her hand and the fever left her. And once again, we, we might want more information. Matthew, why did you not tell us what Jesus said? He doesn't record the conversation. What about Peter's mother-in-law? Did she not ask for this? No request is made. No question is verbalized. Jesus touched her hand, not to take her pulse as a doctor would, but to cure her as the great physician who commands authority over sickness. Matthew tells us he touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. And now once again we see that the miracles given second place is the mercy and compassion of Jesus touched this woman and all who witnessed this event. And she was saved not to do her own thing, but she was saved to serve. And that's true again of each one of us. We tend to forget that. We are saved to serve. In this case, to serve Jesus in front of others. What we are meant to understand from this is that salvation had come to this house. The proof of this is seen in which the restored woman got up and served Jesus. The value of a mother to a family has always been recognized, and never more so when she's taken from her children. And Jesus understood this family's potential loss, but his miracle also reinforced the valuation of women in a society where many would have considered them to be inferior. Jesus came, as we read in Psalm 147, to gather the outcasts of Israel, the leper and the woman, and of the world, a Roman centurion servant, into the true Israel. Now, in a first century synagogue, women would have been placed behind screens, just as they are in the mosque today. 
Touching a woman who is not your wife could make a man richly unclean. And male Jews would actually pray each morning, Lord, I thank you that I was not born a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. But Jesus destroyed those barriers. He has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility so that people of all nations in the world and all stations in life can come to God through faith in him. Galatians 3.27 In Jesus you are all children of God through faith. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Friends, I hope you can grasp this because this is wonderful. It's actually glorious. It is joyful for those of us who belong to the Lord Jesus. But we cannot, we dare not leave it there because there are so many others who remain outside of the kingdom. The situation in Maastricht and Aberdeen serves as an example to us all because just as there were young people outside of that church So I dare say there are many who are outside of this church today. And to his credit, Archie, the parish assistant at Maastricht Church, didn't leave matters where they were with the young people. No, he didn't go out and speak to them in the dark night. But along with two others, he decided to do something that would break down the barriers between the church and this community. What he did was he started a kids' club a kids' club that met each Sunday afternoon, much like the old-fashioned Sunday school that some of you might remember. The first Sunday, they had six children. The second, they had 12, 24, 48, and a year after they'd started, they had 80 children on the books. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the noise you'd have next door with 80 kids Shouting and screaming, singing, dancing, running about, all of that. What a mess it would be. But it would be a marvellous mess, wouldn't it? Why not? But you see, it didn't end there. Because throughout the week, the leaders would visit the homes of those children who'd been given homework, and they would make contact. They would speak with their parents and grandparents. People who would otherwise have had absolutely no connection with the church were now opening their doors to Christians. And praise the Lord, some of them were even opening their hearts to Jesus. God's King has shown us how we ought to be setting about breaking down barriers. For the kingdom of God is not some kind of club for people who are just like us. It is for rich and poor. It is for young and old. It is for male and female. It is for black and white. In fact, the only barrier that remains is your own unbelief. Because God's King has indeed broken down every barrier. Amen.